Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're with us. I hope that you're excited about getting out of bed and getting here this morning. Um, hope you're excited about worshiping God with us. If you're a guest of ours, well, we're really honored you're here. A lot of places you could be this morning, and the fact that you chose to, to worship with us, uh, we appreciate that a lot. Hope you feel right at home. I heard a story about uh, a little boy who uh, walked into a room where his aunt was, and he sent he said, uh, Aunt Edna, you're really ugly. And his mother heard him say that, and she was just mortified. So she rushes in, and she snatches that little boy up, and she takes him into the other room and said, Listen, you can't say that to, to Aunt Edna. In fact, you can't say that to anybody. That is so rude. You know, you're, you've hurt her feelings. I want you to march right back in there, and I want you to tell Aunt Edna that you're sorry. The boy's shoulders fell. He went back to where his aunt was. He said, Aunt Edna, I'm sorry you're ugly. <laughs> you know, we all know as parents, we know that our children sometimes say things and sometimes do things when they're little kids that we really hope they don't do when they're older, right? We hope they learn some things. We hope they grow a little bit. And it's really cute sometimes watching a four-year-old trying to figure out how to interact and you know how to figure things out. It's not so cute when a 14-year-old's doing the same thing. And it's kind of funny sometimes watching a 14-year-old, you know, interacting with other adults and kind of kind of, you know, trying to figure things out. It's not so funny if he's 24 or 34 still doing things the same way. As parents, we expect our kids to grow. We expect them to grow emotionally and physically and, you know, intellectually. And if they don't, we want to know why. In fact, if they don't, we'll spare no expense to find out why they're not growing, why they're not maturing the way they should. God expects His children to grow as well. He expects us to grow spiritually. He doesn't expect us to stay where we are. If we do, something's wrong. You know, we're in this series, uh, Meant for More. We're talking about basically spiritual growth, about transformation. Last week, we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about Jesus standing up the last and greatest day of the Feast of the Tabernacles and saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. And we talked about last week, what if... What if the Holy Spirit is real and just flowing around us and through us and available to us all the time? What if my job, what if my responsibility really is just to stay in step with the Spirit? I mean, what if that's kind of what I'm called to do and to be, just to be laser focused on staying in step with the Spirit of God? What would my life look like you know, if, I could, if I could be that in tune to God? This morning, I want to talk about a step in this spiritual growth process, maybe a first step in better aligning ourselves with the Spirit, talk about how the Spirit can flow in our, our thoughts and, and in our mind. But before I get there, let me take a, a minute and just mention a couple things about spiritual growth. And the first is this. When it comes to growing Christians, growing disciples, they're handcrafted, not mass-produced. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of people seem to have this uh, idea that there's some giant blueprint somewhere. 
And everybody's got to do exactly the same thing in order to grow spiritually. There's some giant cookie cutter, you know, get in line, do what everybody else does, and you will automatically grow spiritually. Now, just so you understand, I'm not talking about how we come to the Lord. We all do that the same way. We all do that through Jesus. And I'm not talking about spiritual disciplines. Again, you know, Bible study and prayer and, and uh, service and, and meditation. Those are things we all have in common. Those are things that bring us all closer to God. What I'm talking about is the fact that God made us all different. We've got different personalities. We've got different passions. We've got different skill sets. We're all different. Different ways to learn. Different ways to serve. The problem is, a lot of times people will come to church and they'll listen to somebody, usually somebody like me, a preacher, and kind of get the impression, well, I guess I've got to do what everybody else does to grow spiritually. I've got to do what he does. He takes long walks in the evening. It says it brings him so much closer to God. I guess I've got to start taking long walks in the evening, even though I don't really like taking long walks. You know, this guy journals everything during his day, and he talks about how it brings him closer to God. I guess I've got to start writing everything down, even though I don't really like to write things down. Now, he listens to all these uh, blogs and podcasts and, and reads all, this, you know, all these books. I guess I've got to start doing the same thing, too. Here's the deal. No matter how much you grow spiritually, you're always going to be you. Remember Ephesians 2.10? We looked at it the last couple of weeks, that you're God's masterpiece. God created you. He made you to be you. An acorn is never going to grow up to be a rose bush. It will always grow up to be an oak tree. Now, it might be a very sick, pathetic oak tree, or it might be this grand, you know, really strong oak tree, but it's always going to grow up to be an oak tree. You are always going to be you. And that's actually a very good thing. Growing spiritually doesn't mean a whole different you. It just means a better you. What God kind of is looking for isn't a different us. He created us. He created you just like He wanted you to be. But He wants you to be the very best version of you that you can possibly be. Now, there's this myth that, that when I grow spiritually, I'm going to be a completely different person. Different personality, different uh, uh, disposition, different skill set. It's just not true. All of you raging extroverts out there, and you know who you are, do you ever get tired of always putting your foot in your mouth? Don't you ever get tired of doing things and saying things that you know you're going to regret? Don't you wish you could be more like us introverts? You know, a little more calm, a little more wise, a little more prudent? We wish you would be more like us introverts. But it's not going to happen. It just won't. I'm kidding. Sort of. <laughs> Here's the deal. Some things about you are never going to change. I mean, your DNA, you know, just your, your basic wiring, your raw material, it's not going to change. Now, it can get redirected, to be sure, but it's not going to change. You think about Peter. Before Peter met Jesus, what was he? He was this hard-charging, take-no-prisoners, type-A personality guy. 
After he meets Jesus, what is he? He's a hard-charging, take-no-prisoners, type-A personality guy. Before Paul meets Jesus, he is this brilliant, passionate, zealous guy who persecutes Christians. After he meets Jesus, what's Paul? He's a brilliant, passionate, zealous guy who's trying to do everything he can to introduce people to Jesus. You are always going to be you. And some of you might be thinking, great. (laughs) I don't want to always be me. Yeah, you do. Trust me on this one. You want to be you. In fact, the truth is, you want to be more you than you are right now. God created you. Redemption, transformation, this stuff we're talking about, it's just you being the you that God created you to be. Yeah, you definitely want to be you. You just want to be a better version of you. And part of what you need to know to to grow spiritually is sort of embrace the fact that, that God created me to be me. Okay, let's see if we can't try to get pretty practical as we think of some ways that we can grow spiritually. This idea of maturing in Christ, transformation. And if we're talking about transformation, if you know your Bible pretty well, you know sooner or later we're going to end up, I'm going to end up in Romans chapter 12. So let's just start there. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. And I like the way the New Living Translation words it. This is Paul writing. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Maybe your version says, don't be conformed. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Wow. How can I change the way I think? I'm not really sure I can do that. A couple observations. And the first is this. I'm going to have to learn how to monitor my mind. If I want to grow spiritually, I'm going to, it's going to take God's help, by the way. But if I want to grow spiritually, I'm going to have to start paying really close attention to what it is I allow into my mind. I'm going to have to start paying really close attention to what I kind of focus on and think about during the day. I'm going to pay attention to the things that I consider to be sort of normal thought processes. I might have mentioned this before in a different context, but when I was growing up, when I was a kid, there was a, there was a gentleman, an older man, that, that I was uh, you know, around quite a bit, and I knew him pretty well. He was the most negative man I've ever been around, I think, in my life. For the 20-plus years I knew him, he was painfully negative. I mean, he was like the definition of the glasses half empty. Um, nothing was ever right. He complained about everything. He was always whining about something. He had a problem for every solution. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew how painfully negative this guy was, with one exception. 
Guess who didn't know that this guy was painfully negative? This guy. Yeah, him. You know, it's so easy to see in other people. It's almost impossible to see it in ourselves. He never saw himself as negative. He never saw himself as, you know, the glass cap empty kind of guy. Because he was so used to thinking those thoughts. It was just normal for him. Let me use a, an illustration. It's pretty simple, but, but I think it works. Uh, before I was married, I didn't ever wear jewelry. In fact, the first piece of jewelry I ever really have worn, oh, still the only piece really that I wear is my wedding ring. When I first got married, the first week or so that I was married, I couldn't stand having this ring on my finger. It drove me nuts. In fact, I told Martha, I can't wear this ring. And it's the plainest, smallest, thinnest little ring that, you could, that we could find. But I said, I can't wear my ring. I'm sorry. I love you, but I can't wear my ring. It catches on everything. It pinches my finger. It's keeping me up at night. I can't stand to have this ring on my finger. Well, the ring's still on my finger. And it's been on my finger for a long time now. And guess what? I don't even think about it. I can't tell it's there or not. It has just become a part of me. It doesn't bother me in the least. It doesn't catch on anything. It doesn't keep me up at night. It's just, it's my ring. It just stays on my finger. In the same way, the things that we think about all the time, it just kind of becomes part of us. It kind of becomes our definition of, of normal. Just the way the world is. We don't even notice it anymore. And the Apostle Paul says there's a really simple little litmus test for this. There's a test that you can, can kind of take to see if, uh, you know, how you're doing with what you're, what you're putting in your mind. He talks about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there's life and peace. Now, I don't think that Paul is saying that there are some people who think about nothing but death and sin. Nor do I think that Paul is saying there are some people who don't think about anything other than life and peace. I think he is sharpening a contrast here. I think what Paul is saying is there are ways to think about things. There are ways to process the thoughts that we have. Some of those ways lead us towards life. And some of those ways lead us towards death. But we have a decision to make on how we're going to, to process information and how we're going to allow it to affect us. I'll give you another kind of personal example that may or may not fit. Um, you know, being a preacher, kind of a weird thing in a lot of ways. I get emails. 99% of the emails that I get are positive and encouraging and, and I really appreciate them. Every now and then, I'll get an email from someone who might have taken exception to something that I might have said or the spirit that I've said it. Um, and I've got to decide, what am I going to do with that? I'm going to respond to it. How am I going to respond to this email? And instantly, you know, my mind starts going, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And it's really easy to kind of get defensive. It's really easy to say, wait a minute. Okay, there's a kernel of truth here, but I know this guy. I know what's going on in his life. You know, who's he to tell me that, you know, 
you know, to, to complain about me? Or is that all this woman heard during this conversation? Is, did she take it completely out of context? And it's really easy to get kind of defensive, you know, start kind of spiraling downward. Or I can say, okay, what's really going on here? One, my feelings are hurt, okay? Okay, my pride is wounded. I can deal with that. You know, pride, good thing to put away anyway, right? Okay, someone has seen something that, uh, a flaw in me. It doesn't affect my relationship with God, by the way. You know, God says, hey, I love you, we're okay. Pride and all, that's grace. But someone's pointed out a flaw. Okay. Do you really think I'm infallible? Come on. Do you really think that, that I don't say things sometimes that probably I shouldn't have said or I said in the wrong way? Do you really think I'm the best preacher in the world? I'm not the best preacher in this room. Come on. You all know I'm not perfect. Only one person thinks I'm perfect. That's my mother. I'm working on that with her. But come on. Okay. So I can say, okay, how am I going to respond to this? And God, would you allow me to respond with this in a way that, that I can grow? Can you, respond, can you allow me to respond to this in a way that you really can show the, the compassion of Jesus? It really does exhibit some humility because there is some truth in what's been said here. Can I learn from this? Can I grow from this? Can I be a little bit more like Jesus in my response? And then, that takes me into an upward spiral toward life and joy. So we have all these thoughts that are going through our mind. You know, they can either lead us kind of downward or they can, they can lead us uh, upward. You know, we, they can lead us towards more anxiety, more fear, more lust, more greed, more bitterness. Who wants more of that in their life? <laughs> Yeah, sign me up. You know, that's what I want to think about all day. No. That's not what I want on my mind. Or I can take the same situation, the same circumstances, the same initial reaction and allow the Spirit of God to work within my mind and allow my mind and my thoughts to, to go in a completely different direction. But I can start to experience the love and joy and peace and patience, all those fruits of the Spirit that we like to talk about. Now, you look at Scripture, the Apostle Paul actually devotes an incredible amount of ink to this very idea of what are you putting in your mind and how important it is what it is you're putting in your mind. In 2 Corinthians, he, he tells the church in Corinth, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then he tells the church in Philippi, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he tells a bunch of Christians that are worshiping in Colossae, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, it's amazing to me how many people think that we're just victims of whatever is running through our minds. It's like a giant movie and we don't have the remote. You know, whatever we're thinking about, that's just what we're thinking about. We need to be reminded there's a fundamental struggle going on. A struggle for our minds. You know, the evil one wants control of our minds. It has to do with the nature of our thoughts. And one of the ultimate freedoms that we have, one of the ultimate freedoms that we've been given 
One of the ultimate freedoms that no one can take away from you is you get to decide what you dwell on in your mind. You get to choose what you think about most of the time. What's equally amazing to me is, is how quickly so many people are willing to give up that freedom. You know, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I've got some decisions to make. I can say, well, it's Monday morning, and I hate Monday mornings. And Monday's going to be bad because, man, you know, I'm going to go to work and all these things are going to get dumped on me and I'm going to have to juggle all these uh, responsibilities. I know that my wife is going to, you know, have a bunch of things for me to do and, and we're going to argue about what we were arguing about last night. My kids are going to be, you know, they're going to be a handful and boy, I just want to stay in bed. I can't stand the thought of getting up this morning. And those thoughts that I'm running through my mind before I have my feet even hit the floor are starting to pull me down. Or I can wake up on Monday morning and think to myself, you know what? This is a day the Lord has made. I rejoice and be glad in it. And yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on, and yeah, there's a lot of you know relationship things I got to deal with, but God, would you help me today make today something special for somebody? Would you help me some way to make today special for my wife? Or would you help me today make this day special for my kids? Would you help me encourage some people at work? Would you, would you help me make today special for some people? Maybe, maybe that I don't know. Maybe that I've never met. I didn't make this day. It's not my day. It's a gift, just like every other day. And those thoughts can help me start spiraling up, which leads to a final thought. And that is, we need to learn how to feed our minds. We need to be very intentional about what we're putting into our mind. And I'm talking about God's Word here. I don't want to cloak this in mystery. I'm talking about reading your Bible, feeding your mind on God's Word. And a lot of people see that as, okay, this is some legalistic thing that, that you know I've got to do. And I'm a Christian, so I guess I've got to read the Bible. In fact, I've had people ask me, how much do I have to read the Bible every day? Like 10 minutes, you know, 20 minutes, how much do I really need to read the Bible? And I think the question they're really asking is, how much do I need to read the Bible so I don't feel guilty? Now, they never word it that way, but I think that's usually the question. How often or how much do I need to read the Bible so that God won't be mad at me? Let me share some good news with you. Listen, God's not mad at you for not reading your Bible. Now, Jesus came to, to, to forgive us of all sin. God's not up in heaven saying, hey, you didn't get your 15 minutes in today. Pretty upset about that. Somebody's going to pay. Keep listening. No matter how much you read the Bible, God's not going to love you more than He loves you right now. So we don't read our Bibles thinking, well, I've got, to, you know, I've got to please God and I've got to get my 15 minutes in and I've got to check that box and there, I've done it. Thank goodness that's over. We read the Bible so that we can flourish in our lives. We read the Bible so we can understand what God, who created us, has in mind for us. So we can understand the kind of life that He has called us to live. And all those things that we preachers talk about, the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment and the peace and the contentment. How do I get that? Well, there's a book that tells you how. 
So why wouldn't I read that book? It's not to check some list. It's because I want to fill my mind with the things of God. I want to draw closer to the will of God, and that's where I'm told how to do that. Our minds are just a whole lot like a sponge. You put a sponge in really clean, crystal clear water, what's the sponge filled with? Crystal clean, crystal clear water. You put a sponge, you immerse a sponge in rancid, muddy pond scum. What's the sponge filled with? Rancid, muddy pond scum. You know, our minds are the same way. The things that we immerse our minds in, that's what our minds are going to be filled with. It's a strange thing. We live in a really sophisticated society. Yet it amazes me how often people allow themselves to dwell on things that, that don't bring you up. Allow ourselves to kind of think about things that, that you know, this isn't God's will. This is what God want me, wants me filling my mind with. And somehow we, we fill our minds with that and think, but it's going to lead me to love and compassion and the kind of life that you know, I, I, I know that I want. Good luck with that. The things that we think about, that's, that's where our mind stays. I've got to be very intentional about what I'm going to feed my mind. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Paul says, I want your mind to be the kind of place where the Holy Spirit feels right at home. I want your mind to be the kind of place where the Holy Spirit can flow like streams of living water. Now we're talking this year about being meant for more. But I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just talk about God. I don't want to just read about God. I want to see God move in my life. I want to see God move in, in Bay Area. Maybe like never before. Because I'm convinced that God's called us to more. And I don't want to live the rest of my life exactly where I am spiritually. Don't get me wrong, God's blessed me in great ways and I'm grateful for it. I just think there's more. I think there's more for me. More God. More Jesus. More of the Holy Spirit. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to grow. I want to open my mind. I want to fill my mind with whatever's true and whatever's noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. So this morning, let's start there. And where do we start with this spiritual growth? Let's start here. Let's start with where we're placing our mind. Let's get very intentional. Let's think about what we're thinking about. Let's pay attention to what we're allowing into our, into our minds. You think about what a miracle it is that you have a mind. What a miracle that is. And what a miracle it is that I can take my thoughts and my thoughts can reach past the farthest reaches of the solar system right to the throne of God. And my thoughts really can start to become His thoughts. And He can bless my life like never before. This morning, start thinking about what you're thinking about. 
Where are you placing your mind? What are you allowing in? Is it the things that are true and noble and right and all of those things? Let's fix our minds and fix our hearts on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As a church family, if we can help you in any way this morning, Travis has a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. There's going to be some people here at the front. If we can pray with you or anything that we can help you with, meet us down front. Let's stand and sing.